0: Goldie and Tausch back with you on ESPN Wisconsin and ESPNWisconsin.com and joining us now at the Tundra Trio. They thoroughly enjoyed the last segment that they tuned in for. (laughs) It is longtime Milwaukee sports journalist, columnist from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, MLB.com, and now in retirement and writing terrific books. Thank you. It is Michael Bauman and the man who resuscitated the green Bay Packers and became a pro football hall of famer and a green Bay icon. It is Ron Wolf on will Tausch, or should I say little Ronnie Wolf from new freedom, Pennsylvania. <laughs> That's whatever you want to say. <laughs> so, uh, I read that chapter in the book. I've, as I was just telling you guys, I made it through about two thirds since it arrived via FedEx on uh Friday night. Um, when you look at your life, and it's now put in book form, because you've done you've done a book before which was more, The Packer Way was more what, Ron? Like how-to.
1: Uh, more of a how-to book, uh, uh, demonstrating what we felt we could do and how to do it.
0: And this is your life story. Exactly. Um, what made you want to tell it, and when you start to put it in 300 pages or so, and you think back to little Ronnie Wolf delivering the newspaper in New Freedom. Um, it is a remarkable life, I, I, I have to yeah, say. it's
1: one of those things that I was very, very fortunate to, to be able to do what I dreamed of doing. That's being in professional sports and uh, having an opportunity to work with legendary people. I ended my career in the best place anybody in professional football. Could ever end it, Green Bay, Wisconsin, and the uh, uh, the atmosphere here, the legacy that's here with uh, uh, with with the Packers, the feeling that one gets when one has an opportunity to walk onto Lambeau Field, look at those magical names that surround uh, that oval, and think to yourself, you know, these are. The people that made this game so great and it happened here in Green Bay Wisconsin and it doesn't get any better than that for someone like myself who is a big big fan I was very fortunate my dad uh, was one of two, two brothers that the rest rest were all farmers and he, he liked sports and starting in 1948 I started going to football games with him
0: that's in the book, and uh, we want to talk a lot about that and how what made you decide to do it and how you and Michael collaborated on it. But we have to settle something before we get into the book, and that is trading for Brett Favre, signing Reggie White, drafting Mark Tauscher. Is that the order in which your greatest <laughs> personnel moves go?
1: Without a question. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Without question, <laughs> um, I I love to make Taush uncomfortable because even though um, he sometimes likes to uh, you know toot his own horn, he is by nature a very humble guy. Um, so he's not going to ask you this. So I'm going to, and then he's going to try and get somebody to cut off my mic. Take us back to how you ended up drafting this little known. Un- unbelievable story, didn't play most of his UW career finally plays as a 50-year senior and then ends up not only being a 7th round pick for you but an 11-year player that you didn't realize never went to a Pro Bowl until I told you that because you assumed how good he was he had been to one
1: that's true, I thought for sure he had been a Pro Bowl player uh, but uh, let me just tell you the story about Mark Towser. that's what you want to hear, right?
0: I don't know if Tausch wants to. But yeah, I mean, I'd rather not, well,
1: but if you want to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was one of those situations where I was at the University of Wisconsin, and, and they were probably getting ready for a bowl game or something of that nature. seems they, they went bowling every year. And uh, I was watching a drill that the offensive lineman did before practice with a soccer ball. And I was watching this guy, and Tausch, don't take offense to this. Uh-oh. That everybody said was like a Pillsbury Doughboy. Looked like a Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> Kicked this ball around, moved feet, do things that were incredible. And uh, then we started asking questions about who is this guy? And it turns out that that the only reason he got the senior year, and Taos, you correct me if I'm wrong, this is what I heard, uh, was he was at the Kentucky Derby and ran into the coaches uh at the University of Wisconsin and they asked him to come back to play his senior year or Mark Taucher would have never played for the Green Bay Packers. Is that true, Taft? Sure.
2: Yeah, it's it's a it's a fantastic story, so I always just run with it. it is, there is a lot of accuracy with that, and Ron, I, I've told you this before, but much appreciated, even though it was the Pillsbury Doughboy type deal. You, you gave me an opportunity, and I am forever uh, grateful for that.
1: Anyway, so we, so now we we draft him. We had drafted uh, – we draft Clifton in the second round? Is that yes. right? We draft Clifton in the second round. I always believe you, you never have enough offensive linemen. So we were sitting in the seventh round. Here he is so we take him. Now we have rookie camp. He comes in, he being Towsher, comes in, and right away I'm patting myself on my back. I'm saying, you oh, know – we got a guy that's a second round draft choice here in the 7th round. He's going to become a starter and play a long time. And thank God you didn't let me down, Mark.
2: Well, I appreciate it. And I always get a kick out of it because when we we're doing this show and draft picks happen, there was another kid, I won't say his name in the draft class that Jason will always mention, you were walking around, he was a punt returner in that same draft class and immediately <laughs> it didn't work out for him.
0: Uh, yeah, this, that was Joey Jamison, the returner from Texas Southern. When you uh, we were standing on the sideline with you, um, and you turned to us and said, "Well, I blanked up that pick uh, at the uh, at the mini camp." Uh, talking with Ron Wolf and Michael Baumanari, right, let's talk a little bit about the book uh, first. How did it come about? How how did you guys get together on it, Michael? What kind of um, where did where did you enter the equation, and what an exciting opportunity to write about this remarkable football life?
3: First of all, it's a real privilege to be able to deal with Ron's life in an honest and forwarded way. It, he's, he's been incredibly open and uh, sincere throughout the entire process, and it reflects his life's work. And, and I'm just excited to be on board with it. Um, Ron, Ron essentially drafted me, too um you know he came to me and we it was we were in the hallway at the at the spring training site of the Arizona Diamondbacks and he was visiting with his close friend Tony La Russa, at that time was with the d Packs. and Ron said people are telling me you should do my book and I was like whoa that's a, I'd like to know that so we got we had several conversations after that and I at at one point said to Ron um I got to be honest with you my number one choice to write your book is Bob McGinn, who knows everything and Ron said, "Well, that's very interesting because Bob McGinn's number one choice to write the book is Mike Ballman. so I not, I believed Ron, but I called McGinn and and that was true and so we we sat down for several conversations um, about what kind of book we wanted to write, and fortunately, we wanted to we both exactly wanted to write the same book so after that, it was uh, Ron put me in touch with a lot of different people who probably in some cases wouldn't have spoken to me if it hadn't been for Ron's <laughs> intercession. But um, it, it, everybody who I spoke with, and as maybe 30 separate people with, you know, many of whom I talked to several times, was just delighted to be participating. It was incredible. And I, what I recognized after this procedure is that Ron... Well, you knew how well admired he was, and you knew the quality of his work. And but I, I didn't fully re- realize how well liked he is among the people who know him best, who've worked with him. Um, so it, it, it became a real uh, sort of labor of love after a while, you know. This, this, and again, I'm, I was born in Green Bay. I grew up in northeastern Wisconsin. You know, uh, my family first arrived in Wisconsin in 1848, and and we're still getting used to the climate. <laughs> but 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 you know but the the whole thing is so I I think and I think also Ron wanted somebody who had lived through this personally and professionally and, and you know so I covered the Packers in the lean years and also right. throughout Ron's tenure so I, you know I had a feeling about what this meant to people this transformation this resurrection of the franchise
0: Ron what um, so you've got people telling you you should write a book. What convinced you to actually do it? Tausch likes to tease me because Pete Doherty and I, Pete Doherty from the Green Bay Press-Gazette, and I have been trying to convince Dick Bennett that his life story merits a book as well, and we're not having nearly the same success. So what made you feel comfortable to, to tell your life story?
1: I think what, what, it was several people coming to me and saying, your story needs to be told. Uh, look what uh, look what you accomplished at the end of your career, with the resurrection of the Green Bay Packers, <laughs> and I kept getting that uh, all the time. So I figure, well, let me let me check it out. Let me find what what people who are in the business really feel like feel if this would be any good. So I checked with several people and Parcells. Was we'll he one of the people you asked? No, not really. I'm talking about media people. Okay, would, would this be? would this be something that people would be interested in hearing? And uh, they all say, oh, yeah, you need to tell the story. And these were guys that lived through it, uh, lived through uh, things with, with Oakland, some things in Tampa, uh, obviously nothing with New York, but it,
0: certainly with uh, Green Bay. So I guess when I look at your career, and we'll talk plenty about the resurrection of this franchise and all the things that you accomplished but to me the most amazing thing is that the Green Bay Packers actually had a chance to hire you once before and that's in the book as well when you and Bob Harlan go down Oneida Street and have a late night dinner at Denny's when you get to town and then the Packers basically found a way to run you out of town and make you not want the job can you share that instance first before we talk about how they were smart enough to hire you the second time around when Bob Harlan was in okay.
1: Charge. You have to understand now uh, I, I when I was contacted to come to Green Bay, I, I was in Honolulu at the Hula Bowl and they're telling me I love this story. You, you have to you have to call the judge. You have to call the judge. Forrest Gregg's told me I have to call the judge. I have no idea who the judge is. <laughs> Uh, because I'm in the America Con- American Conference and don't know very, very little about the National Conference. Anyway, uh, so we, we fly to L.A., back home to L.A. I, I run into the office. I, I look at maybe four or five uh, films, or I, I think it was still films then, of Green Bay to refresh my memory of who, who, who actually played for the Packers and how good they were. Uh, so this is 1986, I think. Yep. 85, 86, somewhere in there. Hop on an airplane, fly to Chicago. I'm delayed in Chicago for three or four hours. As everyone is. of snow in Green Bay. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> anyway, we land about 1230. I'm figuring, you know, there is no way. I was supposed to land at 630. Land at 1230. There's no way anybody's going to be waiting for me. And lo and behold, there was Bob Marlin. I was shocked and uh we ended up the only place open was denny's had dinner and uh talked for a long time and then the next day i went into the office and met with the judge and right away i knew this what this ain't gonna work buddies yeah, you know, this is not going to work.
0: So, what did what did that interview? I, we've talked about this before too, but give people an idea of how that interview went with Judge Perens, because you you did know fairly quickly this was not the right fit at the time. Right, I did because I I always I had a,
1: and I really don't remember some of the, but but I had a list of ten things that, that I wanted answers on. And they were real meaningless. They, they weren't deal breakers or they weren't. But I just wanted to see what the answer would be. And after the third one was a no, it was over. And I mean, he, he could have offered me this house I'm in right now and
0: it would still be over. So, but it, it is su- that is such a crucial moment. You don't know it at the time, but for everything that happens then in 1991, because Bob Harlan knew from the moment he decided to make the changes that he wanted to make that you were his guy, and that's what set up all the things that you accomplished. Did you feel that connection with him right away, even during that visit, not knowing what it was going to lead to?
1: You know what? That's a wonderful question. I wish I Obviously, the... The proper answer would be yes, but I, don't, <laughs> I really don't remember. If have always I remember, been honest. I remember that we were uh, very cordial. I, I know it was easy to talk to Bob. Uh, it was about football, and it was about the Packers, and those were things that really impressed me.
0: More with Ron Wolfe and Michael Bauman. Again, the book is Ron Wolf and the Green Bay Packers. Mike Holmgren, Brett Favre, Reggie White, and the Pack's return to glory in the 1990s. More on Wilde and Tausch. Straight ahead, stick around. Wilde and Tausch back with you, Ron Wolf and Michael Bauman here with us at the Tundra Trio in Green Bay as they get ready for your book signing this evening at the Barnes and Noble on Oneida Street. So, if you are listening in Green Bay, what time does uh, what time does that kick off?
3: Seven PM.
0: We expecting a, a large throng of people there. One hopes. We will. Uh, we well. We look forward to that. We hope that that um, happens. What was your Ron? What was your favorite? You have so many stories, and um, I've enjoyed getting to write about a lot of them. Was there a favorite part of your life that you got to tell as you worked on this book with Michael?
1: Oh, well, I think how how we ended here uh, in Green Bay with the, with the Green Bay Packers. I've already touched on that briefly about what it means for someone to have an opportunity to come to such a historic franchise as, as the Packers, realizing, not totally realizing exactly the true history of the Green Bay Packers, and having a person by the name of Lee Remmel educate me about the history of, uh, of, of the Packers under Lambeau and certainly Lombardi and tell me about those things and introduced me to a, a video called the Grandstand franchise uh, which really filled in all the blanks for me and made me realize that yeah we could make we could make this happen all we had to do was take advantage of what of, what, of the tradition of the Green Bay Packers which we did started with honorary captaincy program right? uh bringing players back to talk to our current players to tell them yes you know you can be successful here look they named the trophy after this guy this guy you ride down the street every day i would venture to say uh jason 85 percent of our team had no idea who uh vince lombardi was wow uh, they saw his name and they rode down lombardi avenue but hey it's just a street uh but doing things like that that to me that all the people tell me I was crazy to come here. Well, I had nowhere else to go. I mean, no no one was banging on my you were door. You're 53
0: years old. You right. don't know
1: if you get another chance. Exactly, and I wanted that that opportunity. And here here it was presented to me. And the first day I'm on the job officially. At a game happens to be in Atlanta, Fulton County Stadium, and I'm sitting having a hot dog, and a friend of mine taps me on the back and says, if you want to see Brett Favre throw, you better watch now because when the team comes out, Glanville won't let him throw. So right away I know what? Aha, I got a shot to get this guy. And uh, talking to Bob Harlan about that, he said, well, you go before the executive committee on Tuesday, tell them what you want to do, and I told them what I want to do, what I wanted to do, and uh, told them all the things that Brett Favre would do, and you know what, I missed. He was actually a lot better than I told those <laughs> people right. in the executive committee that he was going to be, And uh, but I'm sure, I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall when I walked out of that room. Because I'm sure those guys looked at our and said, "My word, what do we do here? We got an idiot in here." <laughs> anyway, it all worked.
2: But. Ron, hey, Ron, what was the what was the pushback from the? Did the executive committee ask you a bunch of questions, or did you just say, "This is what we're doing"?
1: You know what, that's a great question. I uh, I think I told them this is what we're doing, and. Uh, because I was convinced this was the guy uh, to, to lead us. And we have in uh, in the Packers office, they have a some something that was just remarkable. They had a board with every the roster of every team in the National Football League by position. So you could just walk down the quarterbacks, say. And you'd walk down the quarterbacks and you would see here's the quarterback draft in the first round, second round, third round. You got to the Packers, and you got 10, 12, and free agent. And uh, so uh, 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 I think uh, we kind of changed that.
0: That story of you in Atlanta is in the book, uh, also about you wanting to embrace the history I looked for that PBS documentary last night. I tried to Google it. I was not able to find I want to watch that now. It says Ray Scott, I believe, right. uh, Scott. narrates yes. it and everything yes. else. So that, that would be worth unearthing. We'll have plenty more with Ron and Michael. I, I do think one of the tidbits in the book that I didn't know, which is always great when you read a book about things that you think you know a lot about, is that you never saw far throw that day. That you were intercepted by TV stations, you know, the Chris Roth types of the world, that intercepted (laughs) you and you never made it down to the field to see him throw. Not that you needed to see him throw necessarily after Ken Harrock tapped you on the shoulder, but we had Brett on the show a couple of weeks ago or a couple months ago, and he said that Glanville hated him so much that he didn't give him a non-contact jersey. He was live in practice. That's how much Jerry Glanville hated Brett Favre. We'll spend more time with Michael Bauman and with Ron Wolf here on Wildey and Tausch in hour three, which is straight ahead. Stick around. Hour three of Wildey and Tausch with Michael Bauman and Pro Football Hall of Famer Ron Wolf joining Tausch and I and Jesse Nelson here. Um, you don't wear the gold sport coat everywhere you go? If I was in the Hall of Fame, I literally would wear that everywhere <laughs> I went. I'd wear it with shorts. I'd wear it with a tank top. Uh, no? When do you do you just wear it for the ceremonies? When do you wear it?
1: I wear it for the ceremonies because no one can believe that someone someone like me that looks like me could ever, <laughs> ever have been a football player.
0: You know, I, there's a part of the book that I didn't know, too, and that was how you got your start in football. And the connection that was made f- for you with Al Davis to get you started—you had written, you know, you were basically me uh, writing for uh, about pro football, and then you obviously became much more successful. What um, tell tell folks that don't know that part, and they can read it in the book again. Ron Wolf and the Green Bay Packers, and a bunch of other people's names on the cover, along with Michael Baumans. What? How did you get started?
1: I got started by, I was very fortunate in 1962 to get a job at a, a pro football newspaper called Pro Football Illustrated in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, it was a start-up, uh, Ted Elbert was the editor, and I would write to him, I was going to school at the University of Oklahoma at that time, I would write him and correct mistakes he had made in his columns and things <laughs> of that nature. So
3: he, uh, <laughs>
0: Michael, did he do that with the book?
3: <laughs> he was very helpful with the book. There were some misspellings of older football players that were yeah. cleaned up by Mister Wolf so initially. Anyway,
1: so he, they hire me. He he hires me, and I go up to Chicago. And what an education that was! This, we're talking 1962. You have to understand, the National Football League is it. And the American Football League is up and running. Everything the National Football League did was out of Chicago because of George Halas. and the draft was there, the college all-Star game was there, League meetings were there. So I was bumping into these people uh, which which was very, very intriguing, and getting to meet Pete Rosell and a fellow by the name of Jim Kensel, who was Pete Rosell's right-hand man and actually was probably the the main reason for Roselle's success. Really? Uh, I mean, he had, he had one of those minds that we all wish we, uh, we would have. Anyway, and guess what happened? The paper went belly up. I go back to Oklahoma. The paper starts up again. Al Davis is named head coach and general manager of the Oakland Raiders. Ted Elbert happens to be in San Francisco at his sister's wedding. He now goes across the bay to Oakland to interview Al Davis so he can write the trip off. Al mentions during the course of the interview that he needs somebody in his personnel department who knew names. Ted recommended me. Al called me, brought me out for trial basis. This is 1963 now. And uh, starting in training camp and I was about five feet off the air off the ground when, when he called me and I was walking walking around and, and he took and trained me so
0: that's it, the story. In the book you talk about uh, Al Davis and and for a lot of younger fans, you know we, we see the eccentricities and the uh, Rebel approach that he had with the NFL. But Michael, you pointed out in there he had a 181 IQ. He was a brilliant football and business mind. In what ways, I mean, I'm sure there are hundreds of ways, but in what ways did he most influence you and in your approach?
1: In what ways? He, the way, I he mean, is, every way, yeah, assuming, obviously, but. every way, because he gave me the opportunity. He trained me. Uh, he believed that a picture was worth a thousand words we would start every night uh you have to understand this was 1963 you had four assistant coaches and a head coach now you got 24 assistant right. coaches <laughs> we, uh, we would start with say all the left tackles and we we're in the american football league so we're talking about seven teams we know our team so we we're, we're grading each left tackle, and you you could see by by watching who could play, who couldn't play, who would, you know who was who was first, who was sixth, all that kind of stuff. So that's how we did it, and uh, it was all by comparison, which was very very interesting.
0: Obviously, we need to spend most of our remaining time talking about the Packers, but I, I did want to get to your time in Tampa because you're always self-deprecating about that but as michael points out in the book while you went your team's went 2 and 26 before they fired you right they're in the NFC championship game in what 79 is it no. yeah, 79. 79 4 years later and, and 16 of the 22 starters are guys you acquired right. so what in what ways did that the failures of that and the things that you did there, even though you didn't get to reap the benefits, in what ways did those really influence you once you got to run your own show here? Well, I,
1: th- I think essentially what is, I said to myself was, if I ever get the opportunity again, we're going to do it my way. And uh, I got the opportunity again, and we did it my way.
0: Because you, didn't, you weren't able to do it your way there? Oh, no, you I
1: was able to do it my way. But you have to understand that in Tampa we had a, a, a new owner, uh, who was more interested in making money and revolutionizing the financial aspects of the National Football League. And we had a, a coach from the University of Southern California who, who was, was legendary and uh, didn't help. The, the real problem in Tampa was for two years, I couldn't get a quarterback. And I tried like the Dickens, could never find a guy uh you, know, you you go back and look 76 77 drafts the only the only guy that's ever come out of there that played you know, any like the time uh, at quarterback was a fellow by the name of Steve DeBerg and he was a right, 10th or 11th round draft choice from San Jose State all the rest of them failed
2: Ron when that, you, were j- you were just talking about the owner you know ownership in Tampa what's the what's the thought process for you when you you were working for an owner and then in Green Bay what were the strengths of having the situation you had in Green Bay in comparison to when you were working directly for an owner?
1: Well, the the difference was, and Bob Bob Harlan said that I would be in charge of the entire football operation, and that's all I needed to hear. I didn't care about anything else. Uh, I wasn't interested in being in charge of public relations or or, uh, the business end. I wanted the football end, and I got that. That was a big difference. So, Theoretically, I was in charge of that in Tampa. But it was a, it was an education because everybody was new to the game of the National Football League. In, like the equipment
0: man, the trainer, all those guys were all new. Uh, since, since Tausch brings that up, um, I have a current day question for you, and then we'll go walk down memory lane. Um, the Packers structure now has the team president, Mark Murphy, with uh, three people on the same line of the organizational flow chart. Uh, Russ Ball, the cap guy, obviously Matt LaFleur, the head coach, and Brian Gudekunst as the GM. Um, you actually gave Brian Gutekunst his break in the NFL as an intern under your, on your staff in about 97. Um, when you look at that flow chart, you um, I don't know how willing you are to discuss it, but would you have some concerns if this was a situation that you were being asked to come into as a young general manager?
1: Well, you have to understand that when I came to Green Bay, I was not a young general manager. I was 53 years old. Uh, When I went to Tampa, it was an entirely different situation. I was very young and uh i just wanted the opportunity because i thought i knew everything i thought i knew how to put everything together and it turned out i was completely wrong uh with with my assessment of my ability (laughs) in in, in certain certain areas anyway so i figured that if we're going to ever do this again put me uh, let me be in charge let let me run it and I can't comment on the situation today here in Green Bay because, who knows, that, that may be the way it is. That, that may be the way it has to be. I know this. Uh, w- when I was here, we had the beginning of the salary cap, which was a pain in the rear end, to tell you the truth. I had spent more time, I think, with our salary cap guy than I spent with my wife. So, <laughs>
0: would you have obviously Elliot was up for that job too given what we learned about the structure and how much you love your son would you have advised him to think long and hard about a situation that's set up that way or would you have said there's only 32 of these jobs
1: I would let him make his own decision I mean he's he's a man it's it's his his decision it's his life he has to he has to do what he wants to do and as I said, Maybe that's the way it is today. Maybe it is a three-pronged prong, uh, three affair. This particular thing is a four-pronged affair, you're telling me. But I know it's a 3 prong because you've got coaching personnel and salary cap. So now you're adding a, 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 a new level. You can't knock anything because it's working.
0: So uh, you, you mentioned the salary cap guy and spending more time with him than with Edie. Um, how different does this, you know, Elliot is now in Cleveland. You are seeing what he's doing. I'm, you, you're in Cleveland, too, so I'm sure you talk all the time when you're babysitting your granddaughter, etc. cetera. Um, how different does this game look to you from a player acquisition standpoint? We saw yesterday Minka Fitzpatrick is traded to the Steelers. There are trades going on all the time now, whereas when you were – near the end of your tenure in green bay your biggest frustration was if you had guys get hurt the salary cap handcuffed you you couldn't acquire more players and make trades cuz you didn't have the cap room to do it is this has this changed has the game changed significantly even in the 17 18 years since you I
1: retired jj a great question I, I think yeah i think the game has changed dramatically uh, i think this When I started, football was basically three phases, blocking, tackling, and kicking. Well, the way it is right now, they can't practice two of those uh, things that they need to do. And uh, I think we're seeing the result of that. We're seeing a lot of injuries. I remember watching a game uh, Sunday night, I think, Philadelphia. Philadelphia, they're they're losing guys. They're dropping like flies. And I think it's because they don't get the practice that they need Uh, because your body, you have to smack people. This is a game of physical contact. This is a game of necessary roughness. You can't just act like it's a light switch and flip it on and expect things to happen. Now some people are going to say, oh yeah, some teams it's working for. yeah, Some teams it's working for, some teams it doesn't work for. But you look, look at last night. Uh, uh, I'm told that the Jets lost uh, they lost their backup quarterback. They did. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's just the way it is. I, to me, that's the
0: difference in the game. But also the salary cap restrictions are less because the cap has exploded.
1: Yeah, but you, I think you still have to take that into consideration. I mean, you still have to be now, – now. now you can make deals, though. I could call up a guy like Mark Tauss and say, "Hey, Tows, you want to give you extra two years? You know, if you you'll cut back or something." Right. And people do that. So, I, I'm sure there are a lot of ways to skin a cat.
2: Hey, Ron, you were talking about football and how the, there is less and less contact. Where do you see this game going? Are you concerned? There are people concerned with the youth numbers. Are you concerned at all about the longevity of football? And just as, as we're looking how this thing is going.
1: Uh, no, I'm not, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I, I winter in Florida, and uh, in Florida we have the, the ACC and the SEC, and those people love football, and that's never going to change. That is never going to change. I have been places where people tell me that they'd prefer to go to an SEC game rather than an NFL game. Because it's more like football. Wow! How about that one? And uh, I don't know about that, but it's what people say. I mean,
2: well, the SEC thinks pretty highly of itself.
1: That's for sure. Yeah, no, it sure does. It sure does.
0: <laughs> we'll spend more time with Ron Wolf and Michael Bauman again. They, you're doing the the book signing. If you're in Green Bay, is tonight at the Barnes and Noble on Oneida Street. Correct. Tipping off at 7. Right. And then you're in Madison later this week as well for all of our Madison listeners.
3: Yeah, For our Madison listeners, we're in Madison on Thursday night at 7 o'clock at the Barnes & Noble at Westtown.
0: We will uh, give that information again.
3: And, and Wednesday, tomorrow night, we are in Milwaukee. At Boswell Book Company on Milwaukee's east side.
0: Ah, they've done a lot of book signings over the years. Oh, they, they know really what they're doing over
3: exactly there. yes. We sh- we should be there several nights.
0: So there you go. Uh, we'll uh, we'll give that information again, and we'll tweet it out as well. But Milwaukee at Boswell Book Company, book company tomorrow night, and then Madison. Uh, at the Barnes and Noble on the West Side at West Town on Thursday night and tonight again in Green Bay at seven o'clock at the Barnes and Noble on Oneida Street. More with Ron Wolf and Michael Bauman. Next it's Wilde and Touch. Wilde and Touch back with you with Pro Football Hall of Famer Ron Wolf and Michael Bauman. Discussing their book and the many stories inside Ron Wolf and the Green Bay Packers. Taush and I were wondering a little bit about the title, though.
3: The title was uh, we we lost that one uh, zero to one hundred. I think um, we had something along the lines of Ron Wolf and the Restoration of Packer Pride. Something right, s- snappier like this. And the people who do this for a living, titling these books in New York. Uh, told us that the t- the simpler the title, the higher the sales. Well,
0: that's an important thing. So if they're right, great.
3: So we got Ron Wolf and the Green Bay Packers, which certainly takes in a lot of territory, and and it is not inaccurate, but it doesn't catch me, you know. I mean, but so that we didn't have the final say on the title. Of the book. How, how about so- the Wolf of Lombardi? Nice.
0: Tausch is really nice. he. He likes I, to play I on words. the Wolf of Wall it's the, Street.
3: Yeah, that's good. That's good. I like it. It's. A, I'll send that back up for the next book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, Michael, what? So you wrote
2: the book, and uh, you you guys collaborated. But what was one thing that you found that you didn't know about the Ron Wolf story?
3: Well, Tosh, I think uh, in general, um, uh, what I what I found was that. Uh, Ron was really likable. You know, i mean not saying that this is a public secret. So you kind
2: of but, thought he was but, a jerk before this, and now you think he's a likable yeah, guy. No,
3: no. He, with, he was always very good with the media in terms of being honest, honest. and in terms of being accessible. Um, but he's sort of, you know, he's a driven guy. He's a hard-bitten kind of character.
0: You, know, you I'll tell you what, as a young reporter calling Ron and, and uh, having his uh, assistant patch you through, there was nothing more nerve-wracking than if you, A, had your first question setting up the other questions, expecting a certain answer to it, Whoa. and then you didn't get it, you were in trouble. Or, B, being unprepared. There was no oh, yeah. patience for unpreparedness uh, when you called Ron Wolf's office.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's, the book is full of anecdotes of guys saying, look, you know, I just wanted Ron to be pleased with what we did because... Such a genial character, and such a nice guy, and such a supportive, char- you know, boss, and the whole thing like that. So you come Arguably across. I mean, on. <laughs> I know, it's just a different side of him, I, and you know, I, maybe we're lapsing into fiction. I don't know, but <laughs> but, 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 but no, no, it's it, it. There are enough people saying that they're all saying the same stuff. So, and and the more time you spend with Ron, the more you realize that's legitimate.
0: Um, you did have a gruff exterior at times though and to succeed you have to be tough in this job and tell people things they don't want to hear including you're no longer employed how did you balance that with the kind of person you actually are which we learn more about in the book while you were doing the job
1: you have a job to do i mean it's uh it's not about ron wolf it's about the green bay packers and I, i sold that to all the people that work for us look we're going to draft a player Let's, let's get this straight, this is not your player, it's not my player, it's not the head coach's player, it's the Green Bay Packers player. So let's make sure we pick the proper guy, and let's get on with it. And look, if we make a mistake, I will fix that mistake. I will cut that guy. The reason I say that, I had had a heart attack in 1990, so I figured, I don't have much time, so I'm not going to go to practice every day and watch a first, second, or third round draft choice run around the field on Oneida Street, No, and I know he can't play, take up my time. He's going to go. He's going to get out of here, and then I'll explain to you guys why I made such a poor choice. I'd rather do that than waste everybody's time, including mine, trying to put a better football team together.
0: You did. You always said – the. You don't compound a mistake by staying with it. And and you made some pretty tough calls. When you look at Terrell Buckley's career, do you feel either that you gave up on him too early or that the kind of career he ended up putting together showed that your pick wasn't such a bad idea after all when you took him? Well,
1: you know, we can do this now. Let's just set the record straight here. When... I'm going to answer your question. Yeah, I think we, we gave up on it. He is still, to this day, I think he intercepted more passes than anybody in the history of the Green Bay Packers. That's Terrell Buckley. In for his
0: entire career.
1: For his entire career, and uh, which would make it more than 52, because that's Bobby Dillon, who, when you think about a remarkable football player who's not in the Hall of Fame, there's one right there. But... What happened was we were all getting together. Here, here comes Ron Wolf, and here comes Mike Holmgren with Sherm Lewis and Ray Rhodes. So we're coming in, and we're all going to be buddy buddy, and we're all going to learn one another and how it's going, you know, how it's going to be because we're talking about a different offense than what I was accustomed to. Right. Uh, so we're we're in the draft preparation, and. We decide that the best – now, we're talking about the fourth pick in the draft, I think. Is that right? Fourth or fifth? Fifth, Fifth, I think. Fifth. Fifth pick in the draft. And uh, uh, so the the offense decides that Desmond Howard's a guy, and I'm flabbergasted. How could Desmond Howard be the guy? Because he doesn't look like John Taylor or Jerry Rice. Right. You know, he's 5'10". And uh, so then the defense decides that Terrell Buckley's the guy. And here we are again. Here, here's a five-foot, nine-and-a-half corner. Now, I grew up with the Oakland Raiders and the L.A. Raiders, and we had big corners, big corners, something that we did when I got to Green Bay. We ended up having big corner, right? Uh, so the guy I wanted was a player by the name of Bob Whitfield, who was a tackle from Stanford. But but I, <laughs> fortunately for for us, Washington jumped in front and took Desmond Howard, and then now we're left with Terrell Buckley. And what what happened was <clears throat> we couldn't sign him, which, which hurt. He came in and really helped us win the first game here. He returned a punt for a touchdown. And and everybody talks about far throw to Taylor, but that, that punt return certainly helped. But I realized as we progressed that you can't have these little skinny, short corners playing up here in October, November, and December. It's too cold, the ground's too tough, they're not big enough, and so Terrell Buckley had a marvelous career. Uh, Interestingly I don't think he ever went to the Pro Bowl, even though he, he said he was better better than jim thorpe i don't don't quite think he was (laughs)
0: uh he he wasn't better than troy vincent uh No.
1: no no but see troy vincent would have been a good pick here and i learned that it's amazing you know you learn probably learn more from your mistakes than you do from your successes but i learned that very easily that 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 i made a serious error here with not selecting the guy right down the road
2: Ron, how does that work when you – you obviously have final say, but you take your offense and obviously the Desmond Howard uh, piece of this and then Terrell Buckley. How does it work when you're – if you have to be dead set if it was going to be Whitfield, or how much do you listen to what the coaches say and then you know you're going to alienate them if you end up going a different way?
1: Well, here's what happened. Uh, Mike Holman and I got together after that, and we never had one of those uh, situations again.
2: Well, how did that conversation go?
1: Well, well no, I th- I think what happened was, you know, let's everybody says you know you are you were lousy. A lot of your first round draft choices never made it. Well, my first first round draft choice was Brett Favre for the Green Bay Packers. I gave up a number one for Brett Favre, and my first second round draft choice for the Green Bay Packers was Mike Holmgren. So that's not too bad, right there two guys of that caliber coming here. And with that, after Mike saw how good Favre was going to be, he more or less went with me with personnel. I will say this, in eight years we were together, we never had one personnel disagreement, which is remarkable, because he bought into the same thing. It's always about the Packers. It's not
0: about us. It's about
1: the Packers.
0: Well, if you would have gotten Ray Lewis, if he hadn't still been stalling oh, out for under You
1: you know, I still think about that to this day. You know, how idiotic I was. I could have jumped up maybe <laughs> and gotten Ray Lewis. But no, I'm going to be a genius and sit back here. Pat, by the 20 seconds, <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, John, John Michaels was terrific. More with Ron Wolf and... Michael Bauman here at the Tundra Trio. More next, it's Wilde and Tausch. Wilde and Tausch back with you. Pro Football Hall of Famer Ron Wolf. And author Michael Bauman with us. Again, the book is Ron Wolf and the Green Bay Packers. Amazon. Absolutely. Barnes and Noble. Absolutely. Um where else can I get it? Can I get a digital version of yes, it? Yes,
3: you can. There's an ebook version of this book. So I can
0: read it on my Kindle or on my iPad.
3: Absolutely, either one.
0: Um, I, I can't turn down pages though. The corners, so things that I want to get to from reading the book, <laughs> uh, which I did yesterday. Uh, we got a bunch of fan questions, and I thought one that came from Matt was interesting because he, he talks about the coaches you hired he says uh what what was the key trait that allowed mike holmgren ray rhodes and mike sherman to win that interview process uh were you looking for similar traits in all three of them or a shift in culture from coach to coach let's let's start with the hiring of mike holmgren which obviously there was a hefty competition for his services what made him the guy
1: First and foremost, he was a tremendous interview. Uh, he, had, he had the uh, background. Here he was, very successful offensive coordinator with the dream team, if you will, uh, of professional football at that time, the San Francisco 49ers. He went 10-6 and 6 with Kemp and Murawski as quarterbacks, and that impressed me immeasurably. Then, having had an opportunity to interview him, you have to say, understand. At that time, he was a girl with a curl. I mean, he was being interviewed by everybody, right? And uh, so, I figured there isn't any way we're going to get him, but we did.
0: Um, How that Ray Rhodes thing go? That you
1: know, it went it went really well. But I learned so much from that because I put. Uh, blinders on myself I determined that I wanted a guy who had been a head foot a previous head football coach in the National Football League and that was that was ridiculous and uh, I should never have done that I I learned that eventually Uh, but you know Ray Ray went eight and eight but we were we weren't very good
0: Um, you had Andy Reid on the staff, he had not been a coordinator yet at that point. The Eagles hired him without that coordinator experience. Did you interview him, and and do you regret not hiring him?
1: No, I didn't. And I regret, yes. First of all, I, I regret not hiring him. That's number one. I didn't interview him because I put this stupid parameter out there that I needed a guy because of Mike Holmgren and the success he had here. I needed a guy who had been a previous head football coach. That was very, very
0: stupid of me. And then you hire Mike Sherman, who did not have a glowing resume. He had been with Mike Holmgren in Seattle, had been here previously. And while Bob Harlan would later say that his biggest mistake was giving him both jobs, um, he was a pretty darn good football coach, and that was a very good hire.
1: Yes, it was a very good hire, and and, uh, he he also was a marvelous interview, and... uh, well prepared, ready to go, uh, you know, he went 14-2 and two twice, uh, so, I mean, he, he he's done a remark. he has done a remarkable job here, but I think the, and, and I was gone, but I think the pressure of that other job, just too much for one person.
2: Ron, is there a shelf life, you think, where players listening to a coach, is it, Eight to ten years, obviously, without you know, take Bill Belichick out of the equation. But do you think there is a kind of a shelf life for a head coach?
1: I think so. I think that's been demonstrated time after time. What is it? I don't, I do not know. There are some guys that, as they become more successful, uh, they think they know it all. I'm talking about head coaches here now. They think they know it all. You don't have to tell them anything. Some people the way they present themselves they turn the team off i've seen that happen too so uh but yeah i believe there is a shelf life and you're right we are we are witnessing without a doubt the greatest coach in the history of the national football league and, and the job that man's doing in new england
2: what do you it's think? Incredible. What makes? What do you think it is about Bill Belichick? Is it just? Is he that much smarter than everybody? Or what is it about him that he's had so much success?
1: I think that's an interesting question. I talked to a lot of people about that, and they said, "Well, you no, know, he's been in the game since the seventies. So what hasn't he seen? Uh, he's seen it all. You can run whatever you want to run, offensively or defensively. He's been there. He's done that. And I, I think what's helped him." And it's certainly no fault of his. I mean, he he plays in the poorest division in the National Football League. I mean, you know, you, you already know that you were, you know, you got six wins. Now all I got to do is win four more games. I'm in the playoffs. Um, I for, shouldn't say that, but hell, well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind it. of bore itself
2: out. I mean, huh?
1: it it's kind no, of bore he, itself out. What, that way, yeah, yeah, but what he has accomplished in the salary cap era just
0: incredible. Um, for someone who is such a historian to say that though is pretty darn high praise. I uh, I guess that took quite well, Who me a
3: would be better?
1: Mind. I mean, who would you pick to better to be better? I mean, how could you know, I I witnessed some of these guys that that were support that are in the hall of fame. Right. Superb had football coaches. I mean, trying to adjust every every year to a salary cap uh,
0: limitation. Oh, That's what sets them apart from Lombardi. Oh, in without, mind, yeah, without is the question. Parameters of the salary yeah. cap era. Right. Is that also what sets, not to toot your own horn, but is that also what sets you apart? Is what you were able to accomplish in the salary cap era? I mean, it was a game changer, and there were limitations that were non existent when you were coming up in this game.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't want to uh, blow my own horn, but yeah, I think it does. It, it really does. Look what we did here. Right. I mean, we, we came here, and in 1993 through 2000, completely transformed this franchise and made it a winner. Not only a winner, the best record in, in the National Football League. So, yeah, I'm very, very proud of that. Now, I had a lot of help. I had seven guys on our staff that, Eventually became general managers, right? Uh, throughout the league, so in that short nine years, we'd, we 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 done some good.
0: I, I, I sure miss those trades for past or future considerations. Yeah, well, that they changed. The,
1: you know they changed the rules on that. <laughs> uh, Parcells and I still talk about that. How they they changed the rule? We couldn't make trades. I I'm glad they can do that now.
0: Uh, but those trades were. Uh, you you had a few friends in the league, and you could uh, help each other kind of circumvent the waiver wire a little bit there.
1: Well, uh, not so much circumvent the waiver wire, but to help a guy out. For example, right. if I knew Player X wasn't going to make our team, rather than cut him, I could trade him. Right and he would maybe have an opportunity to make a team somewhere
0: else. Tyrone Davis is a pretty good tight end for you for a few years for yes, past he, considerations yes, from the he Jets. Yes, uh, Lots of uh, past considerations in this last hour and change. We'll wrap things up, though, with Ron Wolf and Michael Bauman live from the Tundra Trio in Green Bay in advance of their book signing this evening just down the road on Oneida Street at Barnes & Noble, so be sure to come out so Michael doesn't have to sit there and just quietly wait for people to come. And ask <laughs> Which is the
3: what I did last night. <laughs> and I'm not very good at it.
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure more people come see you tonight here in Green Bay. More next. It's Wildy and Tausch. Wilde and Tausch back with you, finishing up with Pro Football Hall of Famer Ron Wolfe. And author Michael Bauman, Tausch, what else you got for us,
2: uh, Ron? Before we let you go, uh, one of the questions you were talking about height, and when you're drafting defensive backs, and I think whenever we get around draft time and we start evaluating, how did you go about? You, you took the forty yard dash, you watched the film, but how did you find out or examine if somebody loved football, and you knew you were going to be getting a guy that loved playing?
1: We uh, we would try to. To interview those, are you talking about in the early rounds here, Mark? Yeah, I'm, I'm basically. Uh, yeah, the guys because first or second round yep. is that what you're talking about? Yep. Yeah. Well, we would do an extensive study uh, of the individual uh, through various sources, uh, uh, college <laughs> college coaches.
2: Do you have anything crazy where you went in and like interviewed a bartender or like in the movie Draft Day when they were
1: <laughs> when they went through? Nobody wants to his birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, we didn't do anything. We didn't do anything like that. But I want to tell you something. Uh, uh, Jason briefly touched on it was uh, uh, Ray Lewis. I thought we had all our bases covered. We were talking to Ray Lewis. We were talking to Ray Lewis's agent. We got our guy standing right next to the guy in New York with his name on the card. There's no way he can he, anybody can reach him, and then those rotten Baltimore Ravens took him. So uh, that that was not my finest hour. That is that is my moment of. Uh, I mean, I just completely fell apart in the room, and I had a chance to trade that pick. I should have done that. Uh, I jumped the board. We had a guy rated much higher uh, than the— Player we took, whose name was Tony Brackens, that was a guy that was rated higher. Should have done that. There's so many things I should have done, but it just completely fell apart in that uh, that that short 20 seconds after <laughs> they said his name. I was so I was being so smart, you know. You kind of let yourself go. Yeah, you never can never do that.
2: Right. is that your biggest regret as a GM?
1: My biggest regret? Yeah. I. You mean the fact that I wasn't smart enough to jump around or jump up maybe to 24? That you missed on
2: Ray Lewis, yeah. Is there something else yeah, that yeah.
1: stings worse? That, that's probably that, – that's one of them. Hey, Mark, there's so many. There's so – we don't – you guys aren't on the air long enough to <laughs> talk about all, all the mistakes that I, that I made. But that's, that's one of the biggest. We've already t- – you know, we touched a little bit about, uh, you know, what, what you think about Buckley and all that. But, uh, yeah, not – you know, not pulling the trigger, not not being aggressive, not not going up and getting a player of that caliber. Just, it was idiotic on my part.
0: Well, uh, I think it's important to point out that while you did not get Ray Lewis in that draft, that was the 1996 draft, and you still won Super Bowl 31 that year, and still went back to the Super Bowl the following year. In 1997, uh, fart in the wind, the second biggest regret?
1: Yeah, just think, if we'd have had Ray Lewis, maybe that,
0: guy, <laughs> maybe, maybe that guy
1: Davis would have been running all over the field. You know, I ran into him at the uh, Hall of Fame, and he was giving me all kind, Ter- Terrell Davis, all kinds of grief because we took Travis Jervie instead of him. Yeah. So... Uh, <laughs>
0: He probably had a fair point.
1: No, but here he said, you know, you take Dorsey Levin's instead of me. I said, you know something? I still may do that. (laughs) He had
3: had the wrong year.
0: (laughs) 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 Well, you always said that if you were as smart as we always said you were, they would have drafted Mark Tauscher earlier. You would have drafted Donald Driver earlier. You would have drafted Dorsey Levin's earlier. But you built some fantastic teams. And you and Michael have built – A fantastic book, which I have read two-thirds of with my late arrival. Thank you. And I look forward to the rest. Again, so let's run down the itinerary one last time before we go. Tonight in Green Bay at the Oneida Street, Barnes & Noble, 7 o'clock. Absolutely. Michael, tomorrow you're where?
3: Tomorrow we're at Boswell Book Company on the east side of Milwaukee.
0: And at what time is that signing? 7 p.m. also. So Milwaukee tomorrow, and then Madison?
3: Westtown, Barnes and Noble, 7 p.m.
0: Thursday night in Thursday Madison. Night. So those are your opportunities to come out and see Ron and Michael. Buy a copy of the book, get it signed. Do you do you avoid signing it? Like I, if I did a book with Ron Wolfe, I would say I don't want to ruin the value.
3: That's exactly what I tell people: is that it's only going to detract from the overall value of the book. <laughs> but people ask me, I will sign the book. Certainly, yes.
0: Well, it is. Uh, it it is a fantastic walk down memory lane. And it's a great opportunity if you're a Packers fan to learn some of the background to the moments that you thought you already knew. So, again, the book is Ron Wolf and the Green Bay Packers. It is available at all your favorite booksellers. And, again, you can see Ron and Michael in Green Bay tonight at Barnes & Noble, in Milwaukee tomorrow at Boswell Book Company, and in Madison on Thursday at the Barnes & Noble on the west side. We appreciate all the time you gave us today.
3: Thank you for having us.
0: And we look forward to uh, much success with the book. Thanks for coming along for the ride with us today. Have a great day. Take care. Be good.